It's Wednesday, June 15th, 2022. I'm Jackson Bird. Today, a new lead on the origin of the Black Death. Plus, Monkeypox will soon, thankfully, be getting a new name. And Internet Explorer is being put to rest at last today. R.I.P. Here's some cool stuff for your ride home. Well, bad news for anyone hoping we'll get clarity on the origin of COVID-19 anytime soon. Nearly 700 years later, we are still getting more info on the origin of the Black Death. Now, the Black Death was the most widespread outbreak of the bubonic plague in Afro-Eurasia in the mid-14th century, although technically not the first outbreak. Medical historian Mary Fissel told the New York Times that the OG outbreak was actually the Plague of Justinian in the 6th century. But the 14th century one is cited as the deadliest pandemic in recorded human history, with different data sets claiming anywhere from 25 to 200 million casualties, or between 5 and 40% of the global population at the time. Even though the Black Death usually refers to that initial outbreak from 1347 to 1352, the bubonic plague still reared its ugly, pustulous head regularly for centuries thereafter, particularly spiking in the 15 and 1600s in Europe and the Mediterranean, although another major outbreak occurred in the 19th century, killing 10 million people just in India. And there have even been 21st century outbreaks in Madagascar. Technically, the disease is still still present in rodents on every continent except Australia. Though, fortunately, modern medicine, like antibiotics and a vaccine, helps treat the disease, while improved hygiene and insecticides help prevent the spread. But it was during that period of outbreaks in the 19th century that scientists first discovered the cause of the plague, a bacterium called Yersinia pestis, so named for the French-Swiss bacteriologist Alexandra Yersin, who was among the team of scientists investigating the plague's origins. Why pestis, it was found, was capable of hopping from rats to humans through blood-sucking fleas. As Discover Magazine describes it, quote, Fleas bit infected rats and consumed the bacteria, which clogged the flea's gut and prevented it from eating. The infected, starving fleas entered feeding frenzies, jumping from rat to rat, and left a trail of death and a population of infected fleas in its wake. Once the rat population dwindled, the fleas turned to humans, and the deadliest pandemic in recorded history began. End quote. But where did this first jump from rat to human occur? That is a question that has gone unanswered for generations. But a team of researchers published findings today in the journal Nature, which they say identify the starting point of the Black Death. Part of what has prevented identifying the origin in the past has been the nature of the disease. Most people infected with the bubonic plague died within five days. But as horrific and miserable as those five days were, marred by fever, chills, swollen lymph nodes which grew into gnarly-looking so-dubbed buboes, the short time period meant the disease didn't leave any traces on the bone, explains medical historian Monica Green to the New York Times. But thanks to advances in DNA analysis, lead authors Wolfgang Hock and Johannes Krauss 10 years ago managed to find plague bacteria in the DNA of 14th century victims' teeth. 
That discovery in London kicked off a hunt across borders and throughout time, meticulously piecing together a DNA family tree of plague bacteria variants. Quoting the Times, They and other researchers reported that the tree had a trunk, and then, all at once, seemed to explode into four branches of Y. pestis strains whose descendants are found today in rodents. They called the event the Big Bang, and began a quest to find when and where it occurred. End quote. Latecomer to the study and co-lead author Philip Slavin turned his attention to two grave sites in Kyrgyzstan that had actually been excavated back in the late 19th century and fortuitously included gravestones marking the dates of death of the victims and noting ones that had died of pestilence. Quoting Science Alert, To investigate, the team extracted DNA from the teeth of the recovered skeletons, sequenced the genetic material, and compared it to modern and historical genomes of Y. pestis. In the teeth of three out of the seven skeletons, they found traces of ancient DNA of the plague bacterium Y. pestis, and matched these skeletons to their headstones using historic diaries of the original excavations. Two of the reconstructed ancient genomes represented a single strain, dated to the first half of the 14th century. Genomic comparisons suggested this ancestral strain gave rise to a massive expansion of diverse plague strains that branched out and spawned the pandemic. End quote. This would place the origins of the Black Death as occurring in 1338 or 1339 near the Lake Isaac Kul in modern-day Kyrgyzstan, infecting a small settlement of traders. And quoting further from the Times, the group also reports that the rodents that spread the bacteria to those victims were marmots. Marmots in that area today have fleas that carry a type of Y. pestis that appears to be derived directly from the ancestral strain. And the researchers report that the strain in Kyrgyzstan is from the trunk that exploded into four strains. It is the start of the Big Bang, the group proposes. Now, if they are correct, Dr. Fissel said, it seems that the Big Bang happened right before the Black Death in Eurasia, indicating that the plague's spread was most likely through trade routes and not, as some historians have suggested through military actions a century earlier. Dr. Green and other historians have proposed that the Big Bang happened when Mongols in the early 13th century spread the bacteria. But if that had been the case, the bacteria in Kyrgyzstan would have been from one of the branches and not the ancestral strain. End quote. Other experts not involved in the study, like Dr. Green, agree that these researchers found evidence of the plague, but that the evidence overall is yet too insufficient to justify being the original origins of the Black Death. And this is hardly the only study investigating the Black Death's origins, or the origins of early occurrences of the bubonic plague. For example, this time last year, researchers published their findings that a Stone Age man who died in his 20s over 5,000 years ago in modern-day Latvia may have been the first victim of the bubonic plague, after they found DNA evidence of Y. pestis in his teeth. This latest study is an incredible boon to continuing investigations into the origins of the Black Death and that insidious bacterium, but also goes to show how incredibly difficult it is to ever truly know where a disease originally came from.
Imagine if your favorite casino came with an undo button. That's exactly what you get with FanDuel Casino's Play It Again. Get up to $1,000 back if you're down after your first day. Play your favorite table games in hundreds of slots for real cash. And see for yourself why FanDuel Casino is the number one rated online casino app. Explore daily and weekly promotions. Play with live dealers. And if you ever have a question, our best-in-class customer support team is here to help 24-7. Sign up for FanDuel Casino at FanDuel.com PA3 today and play it again with up to $1,000 back if you're down after your first day. 21 plus and present in Pennsylvania must not have previously placed any wager on FanDuel Sportsbook, FanDuel Casino, Betfair Casino, Mohegan Sun Casino, or Stardust Casino. Refund issued as non-withdrawable casino online site credit that expires seven days after receipt. Restrictions apply. See full terms at FanDuel.com casino. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit FanDuel.com RG. Well, with apologies for continuing on the disease theme for one more segment, the World Health Organization has announced that they will soon be choosing a new name for monkeypox. Finally, I have been so perturbed by the fact that this disease we've known about since the 1950s still doesn't have a more serious name. This announcement comes just days after an international team of scientists published an open access paper calling for a new, non-stigmatizing and not misleading name for the disease. Whether the virus that causes the disease will be renamed as well remains to be seen. Quoting Gizmodo, The scientists behind the virological paper say that the version of monkeypox now spreading globally should no longer be considered or implied to be an African disease, such as through media images that only depict its rashy symptoms on African residents. Thus, they've called for a name and future labeling that is neutral, non-discriminatory, and non-stigmatizing. Currently, for instance, there are two known evolutionary branches of the virus, also known as clades. These groups have been called the Congo and West African clades after where they were first identified. The current global outbreaks are caused by West African strains. The scientists proposed that the clades should be renamed to clades 1, 2, and 3, with 2 and 3 representing what used to be known as the West African clade. As a placeholder for the virus that's traveling around the globe, they offered human monkeypox, or HMPXV, end quote. Seeking a neutral name for a disease is nothing new. This time last year, the WHO announced the major variants of COVID would be referred to with letters from the Greek alphabet, Delta, Omicron, etc., to try to avoid people colloquially referring to variants based on their geographic region of supposed origin when the scientific name was too unwieldy or tough to remember. Steering the public away from names or nicknames that could have negative impacts on nations or communities has been a formal policy of the WHO since 2015, seen also in the push to refer to the Spanish flu as the 1918 pandemic. In many cases, the geographic-based names not only fueled discrimination, but were often inaccurate. Spain, for example, was the first country to widely report cases of the influenza in 1918. It was not where it originated. Just like South Africa was the first to identify Omicron, not where the variant originated. And as I just elucidated in that last segment, pinpointing that origin is often very tough. The WHO will soon be announcing their new name for monkeypox, but as Gizmodo points out, quote, the agency is not responsible for designating the formal scientific name of a virus. That is up to the International Committee on Taxonomy of Viruses, or ICTV, which is helmed by virologists in the field. 
and the names chosen by the WHO and ICTV can often differ. COVID-19, for instance, is the name of the disease caused by the SARS-CoV-2 coronavirus, though the WHO and public health organizations will sometimes use the shorthand of calling it the COVID-19 virus, end quote. The international team of scientists who published that paper last week say that they have been in talks with both the WHO and ICTV, so it's possible we'll get a joint or even aligned announcement. And while I still say that we don't need to be personally freaking out on a COVID-19 level when it comes to monkeypox, a disease that, again, we've been aware of for 70 years and which we have treatments and even a vaccine for, it is not not concerning. In addition to deciding on a new name, the WHO is convening an emergency committee in Geneva next week to determine if the mounting outbreaks constitute a public health emergency of international concern. Quoting the New York Times, Monkeypox is a viral infection endemic in West Africa, but it has now spread to 39 countries, including 32 that have no previous experience of it. Infections mostly result from close physical contact, but can also be spread through respiratory droplets and prolonged face-to-face -face contact, Andrea Amen, director for the European Center for Disease Prevention and Control, said at the news conference on Wednesday. Monkeypox cases have also been found among close family members, but the risks of transmission among the general population, Dr. Amon said, were rather low. Monkeypox is not attached to any single social group, said WHO Director for Europe, Dr. Hans Kluge, cautioning that stigmatizing the virus as a gay disease would undermine efforts to develop an effective public health response, as it had in tackling HIV and AIDS. The WHO has recorded 27 deaths from the disease in Africa this year, but none in Europe. Infections are mostly mild and do not require hospitalization, but people in close contact with those infected with the virus should also isolate for 21 days, end quote. And while there is a vaccine, it's not recommended for widespread use, just for people who have been exposed. The WHO is cautious about entering another instance of wealthy nations stockpiling vaccines and preventing lower-income nations from accessing them. We will know more after the WHO convenes next week, but picking a new name is definitely a step in the right direction in terms of preventing the many misconceptions already percolating around this disease. It's the end of an era. Internet Explorer has officially died today at the age of 26, just barely missing out on joining the Tragic 27 Club. It is survived by its younger, trying-to-be-hipper brother, Microsoft Edge, which the company has been trying to port customers over to since 2015, when it first began moving away from the Internet Explorer branding. Even though Internet Explorer accounted for less than half a percent of overall browser market share, according to StatCounter, its retirement is still hitting people right in the nostalgia. Memes and semi-earnest, heartfelt goodbye messages have been circulating all over social media, because, you know, even though it's largely been the butt of the joke for years, Internet Explorer was once king. Thanks in large part to being bundled with the juggernaut that was Windows 95, Internet Explorer eclipsed Netscape and in 2003 held 95% of the market share, according to Gizmodo. And quoting from Gizmodo, Recent years haven't been so kind to the browser. 
Rarely updated, lacking important features, and failing to meet international web standards, Internet Explorer faltered to Mozilla and rapidly lost favor with users when the simple and speedy Google Chrome entered the market. After a steep decline, IE would go from a market share of 65% as recently as 2009 to less than 1% today. It became a punching bag for jokes as the best web browser for downloading Chrome. End quote. And just to be clear on what this death means from PC World, quote, Internet Explorer's desktop application will be retired on Windows 10 PCs beginning today, June 15th, 2022. Essentially, that means Microsoft is killing IE on the vast majority of consumer PCs. Internet Explorer is not available on Windows 11. But Microsoft is not ending support for Internet Explorer on Windows 8.1, Windows 7's extended security updates for businesses, and the business versions of Windows 10 and Windows Server. It's likely, though not certain, that Microsoft will end support for Internet Explorer for those operating systems at some point in the future, but not now. If your PC is affected, does that mean IE will immediately stop working? No, it does not. Instead, Microsoft will retire IE in two phases. First, devices will be progressively redirected from IE to Microsoft's built-in browser, Microsoft Edge, over the next few months. Microsoft says that won't happen for all devices all at once, though its guidance is geared toward businesses. That will mean two things, according to Microsoft. First, your taskbar's Internet Explorer icon will instead redirect to Microsoft Edge. And second, a reload in IE mode button will be added to the taskbar too. Following that, however, Microsoft will permanently disable the IE application via a normal Windows update. When that occurs, it will be the final nail in the coffin for Internet Explorer. However, Microsoft isn't saying when that will happen. End quote. And that IE mode is critically important for many businesses. The Verge points out that some government agencies and financial institutions, specifically in Japan, will have to use IE mode in order for their websites to be accessed because they've been slow to respond to the retirement. And if you want to learn more about how IE mode works, hit that PC World link in the show notes. But for now, I say of its complicated two and a half decade legacy, the lasting mark it will leave as an icon of the early adolescent web. Internet Explorer is dead. Long live Internet Explorer. All right, well, that's going to be it from me for today. As always, this show was produced by Ride Home Media. I'm Jackson Bird, and I will talk to you again tomorrow.